Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Praise God. Well, if you're listening to us via our podcast, this is uh, the second session in the Circle Maker. And uh, we're glad you're, you're listening and we pray that this message would help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Well, folks, welcome back to this new series called The Circle Maker. And this series is based on the material by Mark Batterson, The the Circle Maker. And I just want to give a little bit of a small recap, because if we don't know the story of Honey, a lot of times we just don't get the next messages, because a lot of times I'm not going to share the whole story, but I want to make sure, and if you really want to get the story, go back on our, on our uh, podcast here on our website and look for week one and you'll get the story of Honey, the circle maker. It's a legend. Uh, he's a, he really is a legend. You can find him in, in Everyday's Tamald. You can all sorts of different writings as well as the book called The Circle Maker. And in this Jewish hero, what it is is that it's been a drought for about three years. For those three years, people were dying. Animals were dying. Everything was what would happen in a drought and a famine. And so they reach out to this man named Honey, and he's a bit of a sage, but he's also a bit of a hermit. He's just very eclectic. And they asked him because he had prayed before for rain and had worked. So they said, hey, we're desperate. We got nothing. Everybody's going to die. The, the fear was a whole generation would die because of this famine and this drought. And Honey comes and he prays. And just like a man of God as he prayed, nothing happened. Anybody in the room know exactly what I'm talking about? Okay? Ever been there? And so Honey, he just doubles down. He takes his staff, he puts it in the sand, and he does a 360 and draws a circle. He doesn't draw three quarters with an opening. He goes full circle. And he has the audacity to say, I'm not leaving this circle. No porta potty put inside the circle, just a circle. And he prays. And he prays for rain. And, and all of a sudden, it sprinkles. He goes, I didn't pray for this. The audacity. And then a torrential pouring came down. The, 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 a lot of some of the other old manuscripts says it was the size of an egg, the droplets of rain. It was a torrential downpour. He goes, I didn't pray for this. And then it was a beautiful summer or spring rain. And it just sat there. And it was so steady and so constant. They had to ask him, can you now pray for it to stop? Because it's flooding. All right, so this is Honey. This is the circle maker. And this is who we're, we're, we're looking at as we look over on this material. Always when I make Honey, so you have a little bit of a reference point. So before the first raindrop fell... Honey had to feel a bit foolish. I mean, standing inside a circle and demanding for it to rain, I don't know about you, but that is a very risky proposition. Then he was vowing that he wouldn't leave the circle until it rained. Now, I don't know about you, but that's even riskier. And like I said, it wasn't a three-quarter circle where there's an opening over here. You can step in, get a little refreshment, and step back in, in and out, in and out. No, no, no. 
Isn't that sometimes the way we pray? Partial circles. We're all into it, God. Well, it's not happening. Maybe next Thursday. Let me pop out for a little bit. He had to feel foolish. He had to feel like he was failing. Child of God, did that make any sense? But for Honey, there's no escape clause. There's no expiration date. And for many of us, it just seems too risky to pray like this. But drawing prayer circles, it often looks like an exercise in foolishness. And absolutely, it is bold faith. But it takes bold faith to be willing to be courageous enough to look foolish. How about you? Can you point at yourself for that? Noah looked foolish building a boat in the middle of a desert when it had never rained from the sky. You're going to build an ark that big? The Hebrews looked foolish marching around Jericho. Remember, at the base, all the way up the incline to the tippy top was four stories, above four stories high. And here's their idea of how we're going to defeat our enemy. Let's walk around 13 times and it's all going to break apart and we're going to win. Foolish. But that's what God asked for. But it seems foolish. The shepherd boy named David looked foolish when he ran up against a nine-foot specimen. This is, this is about seven feet, so you can figure out where nine feet's at. And he's going up against him with a slingshot. Foolish. Goliath's been training since seven years of age. Oh, the wise men and their camels and their entourage, a few hundred people wasn't just three. And they're, they're following the star in the sky from Timbuktu, and they're going everywhere to try to find the Christ child, and they're not even Jewish. I don't know about you, but that looks a little foolish. And then there's Jesus. Well, how about Peter first? Peter had the audacity to, to look over at Jesus on the water. And, and then there's 11 other guys, and he's the only one that says, Jesus, can I play? And he steps out of the boat. I don't know about you, but I've tried to walk on water in a swimming pool. <laughs> I get about one to two steps. Foolish. Jesus with a crown made out of thorns, pushed on top of his skull. King of the Jews. They mocked him. How foolish this all looks. Have you looked foolish in your own faith? Has your family laughed at you because you're a fool? You go to church? But bold faith is willing to look foolish. Noah was saved from the flood because he was willing to be foolish and courageous enough to obey. 
the walls came tumbling down and nobody in Jericho was laughing. David defeated a giant and used his own sword to cut his head off. The wise men, the only ones, discovered the Messiah even before his own people, the Jews. Peter, oh, I love that guy. Rocky walked on water. That's what his name means. It means the rock. And Jesus was crowned King of Kings. Foolish. No, it was bold faith that is willing to look foolish, even willing to fail. It's in that capacity that God does the unthinkable. It's a miracle and nobody can explain it. Why? Because you were willing to have bold faith. To, to draw a circle. To believe for the impossible when, when it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Foolishness is a feeling that Moses was very familiar with. Remember, he was a prince of Egypt. He murdered somebody. From there, he goes out into the desert. He ends up being a shepherd guy for 40 years, starts a family. And God there has the burning bush experience and tells him to go back to Pharaoh, well, which would be like his, you know, his adopted family is now running the place. And he's going to go up and say, let my people go. Don't you think he felt a little foolish that maybe they were just going to say, hey, we've been looking for you. Come over here. We're going to kill you. It's time to pay up for what you murdered. You think he might have felt foolish when he had to raise the staff up over the Red Sea? Remember, there had never been a Red Sea parting ever. He's the first guy. And he's looking around going, Oh, wow. There's like two million people. God, you want me to lift this up over like that? For real. Get on with it, boy. Yeah. And he lifted it up over the Red Sea. I don't know about you, but that, he had to feel a little foolish. Can you imagine the miracle of the quail? We're going to get into that. I mean, there are 600,000 soldiers. Now start adding all the grandmas and the grandpas and the, and, and the women and the children. And by the way, there were other people who were traveling with them that were foreigners because they said, hey, can we just hang out with you guys just for safety? We got well over 2 million people. They're in the middle of the desert, 50 miles away from the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. There's no meat in the middle of the desert. And you're going to feed all these people not for one day, but for a month. What? I don't know about you, but if I'm, I'm, I'm looking up those Moses, really, God, you want me to say that? It don't add up. If we killed all the, of our cattle and all of our camels, we killed everything, that's just not even going to get us through the first day. So if you feel foolish about anything about faith, you're in good company in the Bible. Don't get upset. It's okay. But drawing prayer circles, there's no doubt it may make you feel foolish. 
But if you're willing to step out of the boat, you'll walk on water. You'll see a miracle. You'll see the impossible. Folks, circle makers are risk takers. And most people are not risk takers. And that's why we call them heroes of the faith. Now, let's look at the event that did not add up. That Moses definitely struggled with before the miracle happened. And if you want to look at it on your own, it's Numbers chapter 11. It was in our reading last week in Life Journal. And after 400 years of slavery, God had delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt. But it was much harder to get the slavery mentality out of the Hebrews than it was to get the Hebrews out of the city of Egypt. You've heard it. It's one thing to get somebody out of the ghetto, but can you get the ghetto out of them? Hello? See, how you think matters. That's why the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's it saying? Your core values come out of you. It doesn't matter where you live. It's how you think. Somebody heard it? Stinking thinking. Let's get rid of it. And so, despite the memories of the tyranny, despite the memories of the abuse and the slavery, they still wanted to go back to Egypt. And you're going, what? What are you thinking, Hebrews? Now, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 to 6, it, it, it reads this way. Then the foreign rabble. Now, that's not a typical word. But a rabble is a tumultuous crowd of, of vulgar. They're noisy people. They're a mob. They're, they're uneducated. And they're, they're commoners in many ways. They're, and, and they cause confusion. And, and they're disorderly. They're contentious. They're always trying to cause a conflict. As a matter of fact, if you were to use it as a noun, it's referred to, referred to as a device to use to stir things up. A rabble, a rabbler. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. So if you read verses 1 to 3, you find out the Hebrews are already complaining. You get to 4, now the foreigners are complaining that are traveling with them. And now the Hebrews are complaining again. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Now manna is the miracle. That every day they could collect manna. As soon as they get out of their tents and get out, they could start collecting up the manna and they could cook it and eat it. But they couldn't keep it for over the day. It never lasted overnight. So they're wanting to change one miracle, the provision of food. We don't like this miracle. We want another miracle. How many times do we not appreciate the miracles that God gives us each and every day? I don't know about you, but I'm looking in a big mirror right now. You know what I'm talking about? They were complaining. I know, shocking, right? Instead of manna, they wanted meat. And us carnivores are like, yeah. 
But talk about selective memory. The Hebrews chose to remember the free fish, cucumbers, leeks, onions, garlic, all that. And they selectively chose to forget the tyranny and the slavery. Huh. They weren't free. They were slaves in Egypt. And isn't it just a little ironic that the Hebrews were complaining that God just didn't know how to provide? I mean, their capacity for complaining was simply astounding. And we scoff at the Hebrews, don't we? For grumbling about the provision of manna. That was miraculously there every day. But I wonder, do I do the same thing? Do you do the same thing? You ever notice that when you guys, you know, you know what I'm talking about, man. You, when you go fishing and you caught that fish this big, that over the years that fish somehow is this big. I got some laughers out there. We, we know why. They're connecting with the fish story. You see, when you look back at the past, you're all, it's always easier to be nostalgic, to be able to go back and say, oh, how wonderful everything was. And the truth is you need probably your little brother or your sister, or you need somebody who was there to say, no, the fish was not this big. Come on, bring it in. It was only four inches. It was only three inches. It wasn't three feet. And the truth is, we do that with God. We look back and we, we talk about, oh, how great it was at this time of my life and how wonderful it was and this and that. And, and we forget how we were complaining back there. We didn't like some of these things here. We didn't like this. We weren't happy with that. And we're doing the fish story. And we talk about it like it was so much grander. You were a slave. Look at your back. It's full of whip marks and scars. God, help us to see things straight. Moses could hardly believe it. God all of a sudden gave him a, a promise. He, he speaks to him and he tells them that they're going to eat meat. Not for a day, not for a week, but for a whole month. And literally, he's struggling with this. I mean, read with me in chapter 11, verse 21. But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. This is 600 soldiers. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would you have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? He's not even talking kids, grandparents. He's not talking wives and women. He's just saying just the men that can fight. Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? He's doing the math. You know, we all do the math. We're looking at what's going on and we go, God, I looked at my checkbook. I'm telling you, there ain't enough for how much month, month there is. 
God, I'm looking at my savings and I'm telling you, there's way more retirement years than there is in this account. The math doesn't work. God, I look at this business. God, there's just not enough accounts. There's just not enough invoices. There's just not... God, it's not working. God, if we got all the fish, you seeing how this relates to us? And, and, and Moses is just... He's like us. He's struggling. God, you're making me look like a fool. We're in the desert. There's no meat. Have you ever been there? You know what God is asking you to do, but it doesn't add up. If we do what we're, He's telling us to do, there's no way it can work. And so sometimes we struggle and we walk away. But when you obey and you're willing to look foolish and you're willing to even look like you're going to fail or even fail, but out of the obedience to God, then you could look like some guy named Abraham where the math didn't add up. God told him he'd be the father of nations. By the way, did you know he was 100 years old and never had a kid? And God's telling him he's going to be the father of nations. That's kind of weird. But then all of a sudden, Sarah has a baby at age 90. Now here's the math. God says, take him up there, build an altar, put the kid on there who's about 19, and take his life. That's his only begotten son. If you take him out, there's no more boys to bring me the heritage and the legacy of Abraham's family. The math doesn't work. But he obeyed. You know he must have looked foolish. You know he must have been struggling. But in his obedience, God stops him. And there's a ram in the thicket. And then all of a sudden, because he's in covenant, God could do no less than put up his only begotten son on the altar we call the cross. And he being the perfect lamb of God pays the penalty for my sins and yours and for all of humanity before, now, and forevermore. That act of obedience. That little boy who was willing to take what little he had in his hand. He had these two little fish and five little loaves. And he says, hey, 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 Jesus, will, will this help? Like little Timmy, you know. Will this help? And I don't know about you, but you do the math. You go, all right, there's five loaves and there's two fish. We got seven items. And we got 5,000 men minus women and children. I don't know. Does the math add up? See, here's the funny thing. We add in Jesus, well, he multiplies. He looks at seven and says, that multiplies perfect. By the time they're all done, they go up and pick up 12 trash bags full of leftovers. The leftovers are more than the five loaves and the two little fishies. The impossible can happen when you're willing to take out of your pocket that little thing that's precious to you and give it to Him and watch Him. Not add it. Because the math will never add up. But let Him multiply and do a miracle. So let me ask you, what is your next step of faith? 
What's your next step of faith that you know God's telling you to take? It might feel foolish. It might not make any sense. But if you know that you know that you know that it's God, and it's not you, how many know you can fool you? Right? But when you know it's God, and you're like, no, I don't want to do this, God. There's not enough fish in the sea. And there's not enough of our herd to feed the 600,000 men. No, I don't want to do this. But out of obedience to you, God, fine. So let's go to Numbers 11. But now we're going to start at verse 31. Now a wind out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. They're about four ounces. So just so you can have an idea of how big this little quail is. It scattered them up to two cubits deep. Two cubits is about three feet deep. You guys starting to get a picture here? Yeah. It scattered them about up to two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. That's about 15 miles in any direction from the point of the camp. So from one end to the other end would be 30 miles. Okay? Full diameter. The radius would be 15. So to give you an idea, that would be about 700 square miles within that circle. To give you an idea, Washington, D.C. is 68.3 square miles. That's a lot of quail in three feet thick. Verse 32, all that day and night, all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. That's 475 pounds of quail. The Bible says that you're going to have so much meat, it's going to be coming out of your nose. I can see why he's saying that. Then they spread them out all around the camp. In other words, they shared and they went to anybody. So even those who were destitute, those who were sick, those who were elderly, they, they just, there was a provision for everybody. The Hebrews were parked in, in their base, in their camp, in a place called Peran. That's about 50 miles away from the Mediterranean Sea. Quail stay by the water for obvious reasons. They would never go inland in the middle of the desert. So what took place three feet deep, 15 miles walking distance in a day, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. Moses could never have anticipated this type of answer to his prayer. It was unprecedented. It was un, uh, unpredictable. But Moses still had the courage and the loyalty and the obedience to say, I'm, I'm just going to stand on God. I'm, I'm going to put a circle around this promise. And the unthinkable happened. And when we talk about the Red Sea and how incredible of a miracle, but can you imagine being there to see that much quail? For that many people? Wow. Is there a promise that you need to circle like Honey, like Moses, in your life? Maybe you need to circle a promise for your marriage 
or for your children, your stepchildren. Maybe they're your little grandbabies. Maybe you need a circle of promise for this particular stage of life. Maybe you need a circle of promise for a fear you're facing, a reality that's in your life right now. Maybe you need to circle a dream that you're pursuing. Or maybe a dream you were giving up on. Maybe you need a circle of promise for River Rock and for our own building. Before that quail storm appeared, shall we say on the Doppler radar of that day, God asked Moses a question. And I believe He's asking us the same. It's absolutely the question. This is the question every believer has to answer. It's a yes. It's a no. I don't know really doesn't work. Here's God. And can you hear God asking this? Is there any limit to my power? Is my arm too short? So here it is. It's... it's, it's right here in Numbers 11, verse 23. The Lord answers Moses. And He says, is the Lord's arm too short? He's saying, do I have limitations in my power? God's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Why? Because He's complaining. There's, if I've got all the fish of the sea, come on, God, it doesn't add up. Anybody at home, private, ever have those moments? Maybe in the car? Here's the question. Is my arm too short? Are there limitations to my power? That's what God's asking. The obvious answer is that there's no limitation to God's power. But I'm not asking for the correct answer. I'm asking for your answer. That's the only one that matters. How do I answer the question? How do you answer that question? Because it determines how you pray. It determines how you make a circle around that promise. Because if you think God can't do it, you're going three quarters on that circle and then you're going, stop! Hello? So let me remind you of this, this high-octane truth. And I pray that this will fuel your faith. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem. He is infinitely bigger than your biggest or smallest dream. And while we're on the topic, God's grace is infinitely bigger than your biggest sin or secret. Amen. Is there any limit to God's power? H have you answered that question? H how big is God to you? Really? How big is God to you? I'm reminded of a, of a funny little joke here. 
about a man who was trying to, you know, size up God. And he cries out to God. He says, hey, God, God, how long is a million years to you? And God says, wow, son, a million years is like just a second to me. Wow, a million years is like a second. Hey, God, got another question. What's that, son? What's a million dollars like to you? <laughs> That's like a penny, son. That's just a penny. Hey, God, can you spare a penny? And God says, sure. Just give me a second. <laughs> now, you got to know something. God will not be put to a foolish test. So be careful how you pray. That we show incredible respect and honor and gratitude to, to the fact that He is God. And He's not my rub the bottle genie. He might just look at you and say, Hey Marvin, get to me in a second. Or maybe get to me in a minute. Or maybe get to me in an hour on that. You catch what I'm saying? We can't mock God. So here we are. The question that the Lord has still stands. Is there any limit? Is there any limit to God's power? So what step of faith do you need to take today, this week? What decision do you need to make? What does that look like? Has God spoken to you what that decision should look like? And what promise do you need to draw a circle around and to believe God for the impossible? Paul said he'd be willing to be a fool for the cause of Christ. So Lord, I come before you and we're all here and we all can relate to this. We all struggle at times to do the math. But Lord, You didn't ask us to do the math. You asked us to be willing to obey You when You give the Word. You asked us to pray. You asked us to be honorable to You. But most of all, You ask us, does my power have limitations? Is my arm too short? Lord, how big are you? So Lord, I pray that each and every person here today, that we could look at this and have an understanding that greater is He that is in us than he that's in this world. And that there is nothing that is impossible for God. Lord, Your will and Lord, Your way on Your people. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.